This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Because if you can tell me what your habits are, I can tell you what sort of a person you are. I can tell you what your future looks like. But like I always say, life is 10% what happens to you. It's 90% what you do about it. The people who are most effective in the workplace believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past. When people don't believe that their future is going to be bigger than their past, they begin to disengage. You're listening to The Circuit of Success, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve success in every facet of life, only on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Now, your host, Brett Gilliland. Welcome to The Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm sitting with Tim McKernan. Tim, how you doing? What's up, Brett? Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for being here, man. Of course. We go back maybe, a, I don't know, a long time ago. You played golf in Swing for Hope. I had not played golf in seven years when we did that. And now I play <laughs> golf and I'm down to a six. And when nice. I played with you, I hadn't played for real since 2006. Well, I think you were about a six then, right? No, you? no. I think I was about a 60. Six. And I see a picture of me, you, Edmonds, and Isringhausen were right. in the group. That's right. And you're like, what are you, like scratch or something? Yeah. Or maybe even better? Yeah. Plus, are you, right around there. Yeah. yeah. You, you, I can tell you don't want to talk about it because you're like <laughs> humble about it. Or I'm like bragging about being a six. Um, but, uh, and I'm like, my shirt's untied. I just look like I got some kind of like, you know, black tar heroin problem. It's, <laughs> You should have kicked me off the course. I'm sure no, you're thinking perfect. about it. It was a fun day. It's like, you oh, we have Jason Isringhouse and Jim Edmonds, and now we have this hack from AM Radio with we us, get too. This it's guy, perfect. Right. Exactly. Yeah, he's hosting his show from the tournament, <laughs> right. though, so yeah. that was good. So we'll put up with it. Right. <laughs> well, you're a six now, so what'd you do to do that? I got back into the game two years ago, and I have an obsessive personality. So once I get into something, then I, you're then all I in. become, yeah. So it's, you're all in. So it's, it's, it's kind of unhealthy. What, what did you, were you just like good growing up? Is that I your did, deal? I, yeah. Thankfully my dad put a golf club in my hand when I was six and, uh, I'm left-handed, but I play right-handed he said, you're just going to play this way. And I said, all right, let's let it rip. And then I just, I fell in love with about junior high and then just played to your point, obsessive, you know. Oh, just, is that what you did oh, do? Was, yeah. I lived on a golf course. It was all I did from sun up to sundown. You know, it's one of those things as a kid, you don't know how good you got it, but uh, I had that's a, the key to me. It seems like all those guys on yeah. tour all started in your age range, yeah. maybe even younger. Yeah, you know, it's never was nuts. forced to play, but just fell just in love it. with the game. And and uh, you know, me and my buddies Derek and Blake and some others, we just started playing golf. Literally, we'd play 50, 60, 70, 80, 100 holes a day. God, that's the best. And uh, did that, and thankfully got to play a little bit in college. And and now yeah, that's uh, right, you played in college. Game. Yeah, yeah, so. that's incredible. So yeah. good stuff. So I, here's my question: Have you ever been a guest uh, in your own studio? Not in my own studio. I've been a guest on shows, but not in, right. quote unquote, my so own studio. this is like studio. the Cardinals playing, you know, being the guest yeah. and sitting in the other, yeah. the other dugout. The, the, so. uh, th- th- well, thank you for coming here. And I apologize. Absolutely. The listeners don't know, probably don't care, but I feel terribly because I, I had a surprise meeting. And so one, my podcast got pushed back, which pushed your time here back and you're patient and it's all good putting up with my it's all good our billable my, hours my are stuff. not uh <laughs> not be talked about right uh so you are man the news guy former news guy radio guy mm. now uh you're a writer you're a podcast host uh you are a, a husband you are a dad i want to start with the dad story mm-hmm. man a lot of people probably have heard that but you have a pretty amazing story about your guys's journey to you guys becoming parents yeah uh my wife and i got married uh, eight years ago and um and tried to have a baby, you know, naturally for a couple of years. It was not working out. Um, she was worried that she might have had a condition that her mom had that would prevent her from having a child. So then we went a route that I know a lot of people go, but they usually don't talk about it, which is totally understandable. Um, and so we did IUI. Uh, that didn't work. Then did IVF. Um, and uh, and we did get pregnant. Um and IVF is, first off, it's expensive, uh, but the thing that you don't realize is the emotional toll it takes, in particular on the wife. Yep. And uh, so we get pregnant and lose the baby within two weeks. Um, and so you don't you don't know. I mean, nobody, I, I could tell you, and it wouldn't matter. People who are listening know exactly what it's like. There's nothing you can do outside of there. Just be there for your yep. wife. So I thought the best thing to do if she wanted to do it was to do it right away, to get right back. And so just a handful of months later, we did it again. I think it was July where we lost the baby. We did it again. This is 2014, December, and it just didn't take. 
And so at that point, uh, doctors were saying you just might not be able to have a child. Um, and so, uh, started talking about adoption, um, surrogate, and we were getting ready to do one final cycle of IVF, which again, now I'm aware of the emotional cost, right. which is actually, I think greater than the financial yep. cost. And cause, cause at this point now, Brett, if it doesn't work out, it, I think my wife knows she's not going to be a mother and that's going to be devastating. Um, in addition to me, not knowing I'm going to be a father, but I've got to be there for her and we're getting ready to do it in January of 17. And as it turns out, she gets pregnant naturally in December of 16. Um, and I mean, it was, it, it was, you know, we were told we couldn't have a baby. So the fact that that happened was stunning. And, uh, and then, uh, I think two so we told her parents, we told my parents, we didn't tell anybody else. And then on a Saturday morning in early January, within a couple of weeks, her telling me she comes downstairs and she's bawling her eyes out because she thought she thought she lost the baby. Uh, which again, uh, I know a lot of people go through that and uh, you know, probably don't talk about it. If they do, they're they're not, you know, doing it on the radio or a podcast. Um and so all you can do is be there. I mean, there's nothing you can do to change it, but she thought she lost the baby. He called her doctor. It was a Saturday morning and the doctor said, you know, there's nothing that you can do. It's not your fault, you know, but if anything, take the positive away that now, you know, you can get pregnant. Hmm. And uh, we go to the doctor on Monday, uh, to see if she's going to need the procedure yep. that women have to have when they lose a baby. And, uh, and on all my wife was thinking is I just don't want to have to have that procedure. Um, and I remember my doctor who's a listener of the show. Um, and I was texting with him while this is going on. He goes, you know, the one thing I would tell you is until you know, you don't know. And I had a, a, a friend of mine in medical school who thought that they lost their baby. And, uh, and, and now as it turned out when they went in, the baby was still alive. And now that baby is a doctor himself. Yeah. And so I was just thinking in the back of my mind as I walked into uh, Mercy that morning, just wouldn't that just be incredible? Trying you know, to be but a I mean, raging optimist. Yeah, yeah. I, it's just like it's like a one in a million. But you know, just on the because it's not like we've seen a doctor yet. She just knows what she experienced and yeah. what her what her doctor told her. And so when uh, the nurse, you know, goes to check and says there's a heartbeat, I mean, that's like the greatest. Ah, oh, it was it was it was the greatest. I mean, it really was like the greatest moment. Um, and to think this person who's now two, who I love more than anything, just like any parent, um, we almost lost him and we thought we lost him and he wouldn't have been part of my life. Um, it's, it makes it even more significant because you don't know what you're, right. what you're losing in the moment and, and what we're gaining in the moment. So, uh, I couldn't be more grateful, uh, for the experience of being a parent. Like so many of your listeners, of course, can, can relate to. We just had a, a road to get there that, uh, we did not know was going to, was going to take us in so many different directions, but we're incredibly grateful that yep. we got there. Well, I think it's good that you share that story too, because there's so many people out there and you have a platform that, where people listen and, and it's, uh, it's, it's tough. My wife and I are first, we have four boys now. And so, but our first, we'll see, one, what's the age range on this? They are four 14, boys. 12, nine and five. It's crazy. I don't think I could do that. I mean, I guess, <laughs> I, I guess if, if, if that, it's I, all you know, I'm just like, right. yeah, it's all, you know, right. exactly. So, you know, but I'm like, man, I think about like one and how much work it is. And I can't imagine. Yeah. Four. And believe it or not, I actually paid somebody to cut my hair. That's how bad as it looks, but I was, I was just somewhere before this. Yeah, getting talk my hair, about hair on this podcast with me. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, the lady was going on and on about her two kids and how crazy they are, these boys. And I'm like, yeah, you have no idea. Yeah, multiply like, by yeah, two. Exactly. You know? so well, I crazy, wanted to talk but... about it because throughout our process, when it would come up, uh, people would always tell these stories. But, well, I knew somebody who was told they couldn't get pregnant. They didn't think about it. And then all of a sudden it just happened. I'd be like, okay, you know, yeah, right. you're just telling me that. Yeah. And so it happened to us. It's real. Yep. And so now it can put faces and names to it. And that's that was part of the main reason why I wanted to go into the detail of that story, because, yeah. you know, I was talking with somebody who kind of works on one of our social media things the other week and him and his uh, wife were doing IVF and it's brutal, yeah. you know, it's a brutal process. It's so expensive. Um, but the thing that you don't think, cause I'm, as a poker guy, I was kind of like, okay, the math is 66%. <laughs> I don't like it. I probably right. wouldn't bet my whole stack on it, but I kind of got to do it. So yeah. I'll do it. But you don't think about when I lose a hand in poker, I don't like sit there and, you know, go into depression for a yeah. week. You move on. Yep. 
this, I didn't realize it. And the second time when it didn't work really was brutal for my wife in particular, because at that point she's thinking she can't be a mom, you know? And so in between that time and it took two years, um, you know, we didn't think we were going to be able to have kids. So we're very grateful. So now is that little dude walk on water? Uh, he's, yeah. And, and we were just talking about your golf game. Right. He, he's, he goes out with me and he <laughs> loves it. And he, and, and for like the he last was a spring training, I think I saw he was, step, right? he was yeah, indeed. Yeah. And like, he's, he, I think he's got my obsessive personality and like, he will want to watch tigers chip in in 2000. Was it five? Right. Yeah. On, on 16, 16 at the Masters, yes. and yeah. so we watch a tiger, a tiger, and so I could, I could do Vern Lundquist's call word for yeah. word at this point yeah. because that's what he wants to well, watch on YouTube. Yes, indeed. So that's what at two years old. I like he's it. Watching. Two years yeah. old, he's already yeah. doing it. So I might let him work with you. You, I don't yeah, think working do with me is going to help. We'll, him we'll out. go play. We'll go play. So uh, flip it to the professional side now. So you, uh, from what I know, uh, from what I see from a distance, I think is you know you get to do every single day, man, something you're passionate about. Not everybody gets to do that. So how do you think you've been, I guess, lucky or blessed or hard enough working uh, person that you've been able to follow your passions throughout your whole career? Uh, I think with regard to the start of the radio show, which is the thing that I love, I didn't really like doing TV, although I was very fortunate that at a young age I got to work yeah. in my home market starting in 2000. I was 23. When yes, I, was I moved here in 01. You were the Channel 4 sports guy. Yeah, I was uh, the weekend guy yeah. with Doug, who yeah. I now do the show with, and Steve Savard. It was a fun department. Um but I, I just didn't, I, TV to me restrict, it certainly does now, but it restricted creativity. Like you couldn't go outside of a certain yeah. box, even like Jay Leno kind of jokes would be like, Oh, that's a little risky. And then like, they worry that like a, a grumpy person would call in and complain. And then, Oh, we got to respond. I'm like who cares? But right. that, they didn't like that. It worked. I was making a nice living doing it. And I was in my hometown and the Rams were winning yeah. Super Bowls and the Blues had won the President's Trophy and the Cardinals were in the playoffs. So it was a great time. And I got to travel to the games and stay where the teams would stay. So you're staying in five-star hotels. Yeah. I mean, it's not something I grew up experiencing or everything thinking would be possible. And then in 2002, KFNS asked me to do a radio show and KMOV was cool with me doing it. So it supplemented my income. I wasn't yeah. making as much from radio at the time. And then the radio thing started kind of taking off. And, um, and this new ownership group came in in 2004 and they identified the show that I would do. Um, I was hosting with Frank Cusimano yeah. and when he would be out, Martin Kilcoin and Jim Hayes, uh, would fill in with me. And this new ownership group was listening to this in the transition between buying it and closing on it with the new, with the old ownership group and the FCC. And they said, that's gotta be our morning show. These guys have a chemistry. And that was 2004. And they paid me more now, almost twice as much more than I was making from TV. And I didn't have to work the nights and weekends. I didn't really like TV at that point. It just bored me. It still does now. And I saw it was kind of a declining business, the local TV news thing. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. You know, this is the best. Yeah. And so you go back to July 2004 when this show started. And I don't think any of us, I don't would have ever thought that it would be going on 15, 15 plus years, years later, later. Yeah. especially in this business. But the thing about it that well, I, that you haven't said something dumb that's gotten you fired. Well, yeah. And I don't know how that's the case <laughs> because I'm, I'm, I'm already, I've already almost dropped an F bomb on your podcast. <laughs> right. which I would imagine your podcast. You probably <laughs> that, don't that, want it on mine. It's yeah. a, it's a free right. for all. Right. Uh, but somehow I don't do that on the radio. I don't know how, because that's part of my lexicon. But, um, the, well, the thing that I'm most grateful for really almost across the board in those 15 years is everybody who has worked on the show, um, has just been just such a good person and they kind of get the show. So they get that. It's like a daily roast for lack of a better term, that if you're in the reindeer games, you are, you're welcome to take a shot, but you've got to be able to take a shot. (laughs) Um, and if you don't want to be in it, then just kind of stay out of it. But the audience participates in it. But I'm telling you when it comes to uh, Martin back then, he was on the show from 2004 to 2006, the cat who is still part of it, Jim Hayes, 15 years. And now Doug for the last 12, these are guys who their minds fire so quickly that I can't, I, and they can, and they can deliver to the lines without, like I giggle, like I'm a 12 year old, yeah. you know, and they can stay in like, I don't want to say character, but they can deliver these lines so quickly and so dryly yeah. that, uh, as a matter of fact, the meeting that I was telling you about that kept me late, part of it, the, the meeting was these people were talking about how much they loved our show, which is not the point of the meeting, right. but it wound it's up being, oh, I love, yeah, it's lovely, yeah, it's always right. wonderful to hear, uh, but it's like, oh my God, and when Doug said this, and what about Iggy talking about yeah. this? And that's the other thing, it's not just about the three hosts, 
It's about the producers. Yep. It's about the audience. And well, it's in just, your social media, I mean, just the amount of people yeah, you got well, the fa- writing the, the in, the fan fans, page yeah. has become a huge thing on Facebook. Um, but it's just, it's, it's so, we're so lucky. And if anything, it's kind of like, I, you're, you become conscious at a point that it's coming to an end. Part of that, I guess, is just age. And you know yeah. that that's coming. Doug is, you know, in his mid sixties at this point, the cat's in his mid fifties. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it won't go on forever. So because there was a time for like about seven months in those, in those 15 years where I wasn't working with Doug or Martin and I wasn't working with the cat that and how tough it was. Uh, and I'm not talking about like emotionally, although emotionally it was a part of it, but how tough to do the show it was right. where I would look at the clock and go, Oh my God, we got five more minutes. Time, yeah. yeah. Whereas now it's like, if they said, you guys got to do 10 hours today, we'd be like, okay, that's going to be a little inconvenient, but right. whatever. Right. We'll, we'll make we can it do work, it yeah. and we'll laugh to be able to get up and do something that's going to make you laugh with people you really like. I mean, that's a, that's incredibly lucky. And so therefore, when we deal with adversity and we've dealt with a lot of it, some of it's been public, unfortunately, I certainly don't like that part of it, but it's part of the deal. Some of it, more of it actually has been private. You fight for it and you fight for your people because you know, these people and you know, this thing is unique. You can't just replace these people. You can't just replace this thing and go find lightning striking again. I'm lucky if anything that it struck twice, we had it with Martin and who would have thought it would strike twice again with Doug, but when I worked with Doug at KMOV, we would laugh in that sports department like crazy. And like you're talking about with, with Doug, you watch him on TV and you go, God, this guy's the funniest guy ever, you know, because right. you wouldn't see that. Yeah. But, but, but he's got to be in that box. He's got to be in that box. Yeah. You're exactly right. right. But behind the scenes in the sports office, we would laugh like I would, I'd be on the floor laughing so hard. Yeah. And so when, when Martin left, we're like, well, the guy to replace Martin is Doug. And that's not the direction the station wanted to go. And, and then that station wound up going out of business. So, well, and here we are. And here we are. (laughs) And then, uh, yeah. So what's been the toughest part? I mean, you know, you talked about some of the stuff publicly and some of the stuff privately, but I mean, you live a very public life because you're in the radio every day, right? So what's been some of those tough things? And if you can think about, we have a lot of business leaders and and people listen to this podcast. So we do a lot of different things too that are tough, but how do you overcome those things? You don't have to give us the details, but like, how do you personally overcome those to yet stay great personality, great attitude and all that, but yet I'm dealing with some stuff off the air. Yeah, I guess, uh, it's it's a really good question because it, it hits home. It's something that's gone on. I remember in 2007, uh, was talking with somebody. I don't even remember who it was. I just remember because the stuff was so crazy that and we but we kept it all internal so nobody yeah, knew about right. it outside of those of us experiencing it saying god if we wrote a book about this people would think we're we're just like fabricating it or making it up because it's hmm. so crazy and that was 12 years ago and the really crazy stuff hadn't even happened yet because that's happened you know over the last whatever 6 right. 7 years and you wouldn't believe it so i think if there's one thing um that i guess i would say has been the most helpful element. I don't know how I have this trait. Um, and it might be a mistake. I don't know if it's necessarily a good trait is restraint, uh, or the ability to turn the other cheek when somebody, especially when it's public and they yeah. fire an insult or they say something that, you know, is not true and it's in the newspaper and it's my hometown. So my yep. friends and family are reading this and that's tough, but to not engage in it. And when I was going through one of the toughest times with this stuff, uh, a wise gentleman told me, and I'm all fired up about it because it's wrecking my life actually. Um, and by that, I mean, I, I couldn't sleep, sure. it's destroying me. And, uh, and I'm like, how do we respond? What do we do? And he goes, never engage in a war of words with a liar. I'm like, okay, that's pretty, it's very concise. It's easy to remember, Makes sense, you know, right? and this gentleman was in his eighties. Uh, and so he'd seen a lot of hands as we say. And, uh, and, and then never waste time on something that has no upside, which can certainly be applied to business. Absolutely. Um, and, 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 and it's not getting hooked, right? It's not getting emotionally hooked. Yeah. And it's tough to do because I'm certainly emotional about it, but you know, the tough thing is because oftentimes, especially with social media, I mean, you and I are talking and, and we're on the, the heels of the world series coming to an end. Inevitably, whichever team loses, the manager is right. going to be second guessed. It's the nature of the beast. Yep. It doesn't matter what team loses. That's going to happen that in a vacuum on social media, everybody has the answers. Yep. And oftentimes they're doing it from an anonymous account on Twitter and taking shots. Um, and so it's, it seems 
easy to figure out. Well, we don't, we're not, you know, in doing the show that we're making reference to with Edmonds, right. Jim would say, and it kind of would suck because there was nowhere to really take it, but it was, but also sucked because it was right. He would go, yeah, you know, you're right, but we're not in the clubhouse. So we don't really know what's going on. And I'd be like, God, you're right. And there's really nothing I can say right. to that, you know, I mean, I but you're exactly right. Yeah. Cause, cause there was, he knows that there's stuff going on yeah. and we know that we don't know it. So what can we do? Well, that kind of yeah. kills the discussion, yeah. but it's true. And so you'll have people telling you, like I've, I've woken up on Friday mornings and picked up the post-dispatch and read things that are false about a business I own. That's tough. Um, or people who don't like me or feel like they were wronged by me making up things about me or my family, right. actually, which really, then it's really tough. Uh, it's personal. Yeah. But then you got, you know, what's going on. Well, if you give them credit for having a strategy, you know what's going on, or you just know you're dealing with a situation that, you know, is unique and you don't want to engage with it because it's not just me. And when I've gone through some of these things and it's so tempting to come after them, if in the case when I'm operating something, it's not just me. If I take an action and there's, there's ramifications to my action, there's a good chance that it's going to impact the paychecks of the people with whom I work. And as I said at the outset, these people have helped build this thing that we love yep. and not just those of us participating in it, but those of us listening to it. And so I take that responsibility seriously. Now that doesn't mean that I've acted, you know, by any means, uh, flawlessly with these situations, but you become conscious of like, God, if I do this, it risks all of that. Yep. And then it has an impact, not just on this person who's an on-air talent or this producer, but assuming that they have families, then it impacts somebody who I don't even know. Right. And so while it's tempting to, to go for the throat with a witty line on social media or in the newspaper, there's a good chance it has ramifications. It certainly doesn't have upside outside of somebody going, man, that was really cool you said that. But if it costs us a, a business or money or it might cost somebody their job, me or somebody else, and then therefore it trickles down, um, that, that, that's, that's real. Yeah. Now, those are people's lives. And I take that responsibility seriously. I hate the public part of it. I wish I could just make a bunch of money and have nobody uh, know who I am. That would be great. It's not like mo many people know anyway. It's like 0.1% <laughs> of the population. Right. But for those who do, right. you know, they think it's a big deal. Nobody right. else knows who I am. I'm small enough that I can hide. <laughs> right. Well, I think, too, the, those those people, they want to hook you, right? And they want you to jab back at them. Sure, because, because then, then it's then like that validates that yeah. they got to me. So yeah. it's like, and I, and I get it, but I don't, I don't know. I don't. I remember there's a line from the Howard Stern movie, Private Parts. I don't know if you've yeah, seen yeah. the movie where yeah. they, they're given the ratings and it's like uh, the program director GM goes, he's up, he's up. The people who love him listen for an hour and a half. And then the general sales manager goes, okay, but what about the people who hate him? A bunch of people hate him. They, they listen even longer. They listen for two. <laughs> right. And I never have understood off, that. Right. I've never like, if I'm like, like people who complain about now that fortunately that's gone, that for the most part, that's gone. Like, why are you guys talking about mm -hmm. that? That's gone because I guess there's enough, especially with one ones presence in the market. If you want hardcore sports, you know, you've got it. Bernie Miklas is doing a show yep. at our time slot. So that's, that's a great alternative. So we don't really hear from those people, which is great because we don't want to talk hardcore sports. But, uh, I, like if I'm listening to a radio station for music and they play a song, I don't like, I don't call the program director and go, why are you playing this yeah, song? I just flip the station, but clearly that's not necessarily the case for everyone. And they like hate listen. And I don't get that. And I've had these conversations with people before. Like if anything, I think Doug is the most, uh, certainly the most popular member of our show. And he doesn't have like, kind of like I've had some issues with like people showing up here, showing up at my house, taking wow. pictures. And I don't know how or why, because it's really, it's not that interesting. Right. <laughs> and, I'm and I'm certainly right. not. Um, but it, it's like, it kind of gets obsessive. And I don't want to represent that this is like a bunch of people, but it's happened enough that it's happened multiple times. Right. And it's odd to me. Uh, I talked with Rizzuto, who runs the Rizzuto show on 105.7 The Point, And he had a guy who would hide behind the bushes down at their studios when they were down by Union Station. And pop out early in the morning as he was walking in. And I don't know how this stuff happens. Like, I, like yeah. you know, I mean, we're just like hideous men. Like, right. what are you interested in? You know, but, uh, but it happens. It, but it happens. Yes, it does. So the, the managing important stuff and then going on the air for a show that's lighthearted when internally you could be a wreck. Yeah. Uh, that, that can't be been, easy. That, that's, that, is, that is certainly challenging. I guess the thing I would say is, unfortunately, I'm so used to it by now that it's almost a normal, right. even though it's an unpleasant normal. It's kind of the cost of doing business. Is what do you think, though, when this thing, I'm pointing for those obviously listening, uh, the microphone, you can kind of 
not hide, but you can kind of eliminate everything else, kind of cancel out the noise. It can. It, there have been times. I'll tell you what. The one that was uh, the most difficult that stands out to me, actually, and it happens to tie in with the day that we thought, uh, or that weekend, we thought my wife lost the baby. And I remember doing the show because we didn't know until Monday afternoon. Yeah. Um, but that Monday morning, I came into the show, and I thought it was kind of one of those things, I think it'll be good if I do it to help take my mind off of it. And then I remember sitting there going, oh, my God, I shouldn't have come in because it's clear I'm not right. You can't hide. Yeah, your mind's somewhere else. And the audience can tell, and the audience is wondering what's going on. And I'm like, I'm I, here, I'm stuck, and I made a mistake. I shouldn't have come in. I've never felt that way before, and I've never felt that, I've never felt that way since. Um, so that got me. The stuff that we've dealt with, with you know, other things, for the most part, we've been able to manage and keep behind the scenes. And that's, that's been, that's been challenging. But I also think it's one of the reasons why the show's had the 15 year run yeah. because we haven't gotten caught up with like, okay, we're going to fight this guy or this battle yeah. publicly because that's when, then you get a reputation for being like, oh, we'll hire them. They have a following they drive revenue, but God, I don't want to ever, you never know which guy's showing up. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. And then you don't want to do that. So that's an important part of it too. So when you look at your career, uh, you know, I think part of career decisions and uh, success can be about the risk we took, right? So what risk are you happy you took? Um, I had a defining moment slash decision, couple of them, I suppose, uh, with regard to uh, inside STL slash the radio, there was one, but I guess another one came beforehand. Uh, and that was, I had an opportunity to be the lead anchor at SNY in New York city. Hmm. Um, in 2007, I hadn't, I left KMOV in 2005, but the situation at KFNS, one of the many moments I'm making reference to that was tough. Yeah. Uh, this was one of the times where the cat wasn't on the show. Doug hadn't been on the show yet. And so the show, it, there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes. that was rough. And I had an agent in television um, who had gotten me a job in Denver the year before at Fox Sports Rocky Mountain, which is now, I think, Root Sports. They carry the Rockies games. Okay. And I would have been anchoring with uh, Carissa Thompson, who people might recognize yeah. from Fox now. And we were going to do it. It was a national baseball show, Fox Sports Rocky Mountain, called Fox Sports Baseball Across America. Um, and they had moved the studios for that production to Denver. I think it had something to do with it being cheaper to be in Colorado at the time versus Southern California. And I'm like, man, I'll move to Denver. That's cool. But God, I really, I had just started inside STL in 2005. Uh, Jim Edmonds, who we're yep. making reference to, had just bought in, um, God, right around that same month, actually, yep. which is weird to think about because it was February of 06. And, um, and I wound up turning it down, which really kind of surprised my agent. Obviously, my agent makes money if I take a job. Right. He gets his cut. Um, so he was a little disappointed in that. I said, I don't know. It just didn't feel right. I don't know. I kind of got this other thing going on. I And he, I think his wife, who is in television as well, encouraged him to drop me at that point because she's like, he's never going to leave St. Louis. And then a year later, things had gotten bad with the radio thing. And I'm like, I'll take something in, you know, anywhere. Yeah, right. Boys, just, yeah, I got to get out of here. Yeah. Exactly. And then he calls and he goes, okay, New York is interested. And I go, he goes, now this is New York. <laughs> Be careful. <laughs> he goes, this is, he goes, it doesn't get higher than number one. This is the number one market. Uh, and he goes, they want you to come up for an audition. I'm like, all right. And uh, the gentleman who's hiring me was Kurt Gowdy Jr., who is the son of the Hall of Fame broadcaster. Mm -hmm. Joe Buck had called on my behalf, obviously. Yeah. You know, it speaks for itself, but his dad knew Kurt. And, um, and I go up and I do the audition and for whatever reason I had been told mistakenly what it paid. And I'm like, Oh, it doesn't, doesn't pay enough, which I know sounds weird to people. They're like, well, it's New York. You're a lead right. anchor. It has to pay a lot, but it just shows how bad the television business is. Cause so many people want to do the job. They can pay whatever. Yeah. And it doesn't impact the bottom line. And, uh, so therefore when it came time to audition and I walk out on their set, which is on, uh, I think it's on fifth Avenue, if I'm not mistaken, and Radio City, it's like one of those big studios. About, yeah. yeah, with Radio City Music Hall's right over your shoulder. And I'm walking out there. And I truly thought as I was walking out there, how did, I mean, I don't know why I was thinking this, but I'm thinking, God, I'm from South St. Louis. How did I get here? That's that's what yeah. went through my mind. You know, I didn't say it. I'm just walking out there. I'm like, how? This is just nuts. But because I'm like, I don't want the job anyway, there were no nerves. Right. And so I do the, the audition and I can tell right when I'm taking out my, IFB. I'm like, okay, that went really well. I'm probably going to get an offer. Uh, I got the offer a day or two later and it was way more money than I had been told it was going to be. And so then I had a decision. Now I actually had a decision, right? 
And um, I actually accepted the job after a week of thinking about it. Go up there with my wife, look at um, places. And I think people are familiar with how rough New York is. (laughs) And it's not ownership. It's renting. And it was even worse than I thought it was going to be. I think the place that we were thinking about getting, and this isn't because I, I have a lot of money, probably shouldn't even give the number because it would come off the wrong way. But it, you, you would have a, a well, lovely... Well, you get a little small like, room like this. It, and for it's, real. Yeah, thousands eight, of dollars eight hundred, a month, right? Multiple thousands, yeah. multiple thousands, 800 square foot, yeah. one bedroom and one bathroom yeah. in Midtown too, which isn't like the cool right, place to right. be. You know, my friends who worked at MTV, they're like, okay, you don't want to go above 20th Street. I'm like, what the hell's that mean? Yeah. They're like, no, seriously, you don't want to go above... Upper West Side's like moving to Fenton and Upper East Side, <laughs> you don't want to be there. So, you know, I'm like, right. okay, I have no idea. What do I know? What do I care uh, so it's Midtown, you know, kind of the touristy area. And so we I come back and I'm just like, man, I just want to keep doing Inside STL. And I love the radio show. And we have this new station, 1380 ESPN. It wants to hire us. We're going to bring on Doug. And so I call my agent. And I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to change my mind. I'm not going to take it. Same agent. Same agent. Yeah. And he Former just starts screaming. Exactly right. <laughs> and he just starts screaming at me. He goes, this is New York. He goes, you are going to be the lead anchor at the Met station in New York, and you are turning this down. He goes, I can't even believe, I can't even, I can't even believe I don't know what to say. Right, he, goes, right. I don't, he goes, I have 200 clients. They'd all die to take this job, and you are turning it down. He goes, I'm not calling Kurt. You're calling Kurt. You're calling Kurt and telling him this. And I'm like, that's fine. And I'm like, I, I don't, I wouldn't okay. have it any other way. Yeah. I got to do it. You know, I'm, I'm the guy making the choice. So I call Kurt. Kurt was a hell of a lot cooler, but I don't blame the agent for being mad because he said, my wife told me then you're never going to leave St. Louis. You're never going to leave St. Louis. He goes, you're doing AM radio in St. Louis and you're turning down TV in New York city. He goes, what <laughs> this is, doesn't I mean, make sense. Yes. I don't know what I can do to get right. this job done. But, uh, I call Kurt and he's cool. And, and then I look back on what I, yeah, I'm like, well, if I could get another, essentially, if I could get another 33% and I wasn't doing it as a negotiation, right. I was doing it as, I think my wife's going to have to wind up working in order for us to be able to afford to live in Manhattan. We didn't, nobody showed us where to live. You know, if, yep. if, if we, if we go back, you know, living in, whether it be like Hoboken or at the time, Brooklyn Heights, but no, but we just went up there on our own and yeah. you got what well, I can't remember what the hell they call it. I don't, I feel like they call them brokers, but maybe that's not right. The people who show you around to get yeah. big cuts of the rent and, uh, they were showing us places that, you know, they're like, no, you don't need to spend that much money. I'm like, well, that's all anybody showed me. And I said, if you can get me to this figure, which is like nuts, like if I hired somebody now and we agree on it and then they go, I'm not going to take it unless you increase it 35%, yeah. I'd go yeah. Piss yeah, off. off right? yeah, yeah. You know, right. I mean, right. what are you kidding me? But I had, I mean, I'm 31 at the time, 30, I guess at the time you got to know better, but I didn't, uh, it says a lot. And, uh, we got on the phone. He wanted to try to convince me and my wife later that night. He said, you got to make sacrifices sometimes. And I'm going, it says a lot that I'm going from AM radio in St. Louis and I'm having to take a cost of living pay cut to do it. I mean, that speaks volumes. Nobody would ever believe that. And I kind of like what I'm doing. And I remember talking to the guy who had the job beforehand. His name's Steve Berthium. He was on ESPN. And now he's the Diamondbacks broadcaster. Okay. And I asked him about it, and he said, well, let me start here. And he goes, are you happy? And I go, what is this? You know? Like therapy, therapy session? Therapy session, yeah. yeah. And I go, yeah. And he goes, that's it. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, don't F with happiness. Uh, Which is another little quick, concise thing. Right? Never mess with something that doesn't have upside. Right. Uh, never get in a war of words with a liar. Add with dad to that, don't F with happiness. And I, I, that stuck with me. It's been 12 years. And so I turned it down. He tried to get me to come up there. I asked for a hell, not just like a little more money, a hell of a lot more money. And, uh, I think they thought I was, I think they truly thought something was wrong with me yeah. that I was turning down New York to do radio in St. Louis. Um, so that was certainly a defining decision. And then two years later, I was offered a job here at this station to do afternoon drive and 1380 where we were could no longer afford to pay all of us. And this was at the end of 2009. And uh, in, in 590, wanted me to do afternoon drive. It was going to pay me more than I had ever made uh, in St. Louis dollars. But it was going to be afternoons, which meant Doug and the cat couldn't be part of the show because mm, they do TV. And so that I didn't like that. And so 1380 came back and said, we want you. You can continue to do a show. You can sell all the advertising yourself, but you're going to have to pay yourself. So it's essentially you're going to eat what you kill. Yeah. And that's the only way you're going to live. 
And my dad, who's been in television and radio sales in St. Louis, going back to the 60s, and was working with me at Inside STL at the time, you know, known in St. Louis for his media sales expertise, certainly he's uh, beloved yep. by people who know him. Uh, he's a feisty guy, <laughs> uh, but entertaining. I said, well, what do you do here if you're in my spot? And he goes, Timmy, they're both assholes. <laughs> and he goes, and if you're going to be in an asshole, I'd rather control my own destiny. So he goes, I say you turn down KFNS and you stay at 1380 and we'll sell it and we'll make hmm. it work. And so it was at that moment, December of 09, that I no longer was collecting a paycheck, but I was now paying Doug. Someone I was has, paying right? the cat yeah. and I was selling advertising and paying the producers. Um, and since the, and then we made it work, you know, we had to go from X when we were just running the website to three X yep. in order to afford the salaries yep. on the radio. Uh, and ever since inside STL enterprises, which I started in 2005 has owned the content of this radio show. And so anytime we go from station to station, which has happened plenty of times, uh, we get to keep our archives because we own it, not the radio station. So even here, you own, own I own the, yeah. I own the same stuff that was on 920. I was on yeah. the same stuff that was on 1380, the same stuff that when we were on 590 before, Okay. Uh, which I think is an important thing. But we essentially license it out to the radio station to sell the advertising. Yep. We don't sell the advertising. Got it. Which is why I think some people who follow closely think I run it, but I do not run it. Right. I'm not in management. I'm just Well, I think host. that's a huge risk. I mean, I look back to my business, um, I think I, it was in 2006, they said, hey, you've done a great job running this this, uh, this office. And they said, tomorrow you're going to go from this amount of expenses that would 10x it. And they said, you have 48 hours to make the decision. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I and to your point, your facial expression, if you can't see him, he's kind of looking at me like, wow, you're ignorant. But no. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I remember laying in bed that night, the next two nights, just staring at the ceiling and like how, I mean, I can't afford this. I can't do this. But I also came back to, if I can't bet on myself, who can I bet on? Exactly. Right. And I made that decision and it was, you know, now the second best, but at that time, the best professional decision I ever made in my life was betting on myself. Because you have the higher risk. Right. But also the higher reward. That's right. And that's the move you got to make yep. sometimes, yep. you know? Now you can't just do it just to do it. It's yeah. a calculated risk. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, when I look back on it, uh, that was, I mean, that was a defining, that was a defining yep. one to take it in-house. So I'm going to give you some uh, things here. I want to tell you, I want you to tell me what you love about them. St. Louis. Uh, loyalty, passion. Uh, I think it's on the upswing actually, which I know might be counterintuitive, yeah. but I think I it agree is. with that. Uh, like it's, you know, I know the industry you're in, I would, I would buy stock yeah. in St. Louis right, right now. Yeah. You know, part of it's because of where it is currently valued. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah right, right, but, right. But also right. part of it is because I see the potential. Um, and it's home. Yeah. St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, uh, to go to my first game in August of 1982, coincidentally, uh, which I remember when my dad came home with tickets and I don't know why it was such a big deal to me. Cause I don't remember being a fan of them beforehand. I was five years old and it, I was the happiest I'd ever been. And me and my mom and my dad went to the game and Lonnie Smith hit an inside the park home run oh, that yeah. night against the giants. The next day, Glenn Brummer stole home and six weeks later they won the world series. And so it's like being a gambler who like hit a parlay the first time you ever <laughs> right, bet, right, you know, right. so you're hooked. Um, but I love, but now taking it from that and now with a two year old and being able to, you know, and he comes in and he'll say baseball, watch baseball with yeah. dad, you know, Oh, it's the best. And then, and then from the, what I do for a living to like, I love analyzing the strategy yeah. of, of the game, you yep. know, that fascinates me. And then I can strip it down to just the passion. And just a, a few weeks ago in the in game four against the Braves, when Molina had the game he had with the base hit oh, yeah. over Freeman and then the sack fly. And like how like my wife goes, oh, my God, you, we were at the game. You're jumping up and down. Like a 12-year-old yeah, school boy, Yeah, like, like what am I doing, yeah. you know? Um, and but it those still moments, man, impact. are unbelievable. Like I remember, you know, game six, right, David Freeze. Oh, yeah. and my wife and I's 10th wedding anniversary. You at the game? At the game. God bless. My dad was with us. Her dad was with us. And... Yeah, he was 60-something at that time. I'm like, I've never seen him jump so high. Really? So I don't know how many games or how many things you can see, and it's just never going to take the little boy out of it. That's, and it's the best. Like I was thinking, as my wife, and I realized I was jumping up and down, and I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? You know, but yep. but that's where it is. And yep. I and I would like to think that some point here in the relatively near future, I'll be able to see that with my son. And that's, uh, I mean, that's, as you know, I mean, with four boys, you yeah. know the program, and it's the best. It's you know? unbelievable. St. Louis Blues. What happened this past June? 
um, really the, the, the three months, yeah, I guess it's two, it's just, it was, I'd always heard, you know, Kelly Chase would always talk about Brett Hull has talked about like that it was going to be the biggest party. What that meant to people, uh, I think the parallel would be comparable to the Red Sox, you know, for that area and fans who thought they would never see it. Yep. Now, at least that organization won a championship, albeit most of the people alive when they won in 2004 probably weren't around for it. But, you know, what that meant and for it to happen the way that it did, you know, I mean, uh, last to from first, last to first for the hometown guy who I've gotten to know now, he's been in here a couple of times or he's been on the show a couple of times in here one time, Pat Maroon, to win I mean, an absolute classic. Essentially, the David Freeze parallel yeah, is yeah. huge. They're a St. Louis and beating a team from Dallas, yeah. ripping their hearts out yeah. when they think they're about to win. Um, that was incredible to overcome that hand pass against the Sharks and then just kind of bludgeon yeah. them and never lose again after that yeah. happened, after they kind of ran their mouths about it. And then to win, I hated that they didn't win the Cup here. Yeah. In part because I spent so much money on the tickets exactly. for Game 6. Right. <laughs> but also because I wanted people to be able to see that. I also had been, I hadn't necessarily told, but it was hinted at that the first person who was going to get the Cup after Petrangelo was going to be Bobby Plager, and I thought that would have been like the greatest moment uh. ever. And so that was another reason why I spent the money I did, and I couldn't say that on the radio, and I'm glad I didn't because it turned out to not be what they did. Um, but then it was almost kind of fitting that they go up to Boston and then they do it yeah. there. And then they withstand the first, what, 15 minutes of just being yeah, on the defensive. Just, yeah. And then just out of nowhere, just like a bullet to the head, you know. And then really the Petrangelo goal is the one that I think really were like, yeah. oh, my God, as time's running this down. Is real. And then to see the reaction, the happiness still, you know, it's been five months yeah. now. The happiness still from people. Um, and then, you know, uh, the interviews that we were lucky enough to be able to do on this my podcast. Yeah, he's a hell of a run. With, I mean, God, we had Baruby, we had Armstrong, we had Maroon a couple times. Um, God, uh, John Kelly. Uh, I feel like I'm leaving people out. Uh, Producer Gangster Pete is in here. Maybe I'm missing somebody. Young Page uses good Cam Reed Low, and what yeah. it, what it meant. Chase. I mean, Chase was the like the one that I think was like the greatest. Yeah. And I've, I mean, and Kelly his own part of inside STL for nine years now. And so, you know, I mean, and I always, anytime I would think Brett about the blues winning the cup, the first person I would think about would be Kelly chase. The second one would be Bobby Plager. And then the third one would just be the personification of the upper bowl. Yeah. The people who, right. To Still their credit, every, every game. Yeah. The stuff in October that I'd be like, Oh, the blues won. sweet. Right. It doesn't matter. Everybody gets in who yeah. cares. Cause that's the mindset I have as a guy from the 1980s. And I realize not everybody gets in now. Um, but those people who have put up with take your pick of whatever heartbreaking moment that you want to cite over the years and what that meant to them, yep. oh, it was the it was the absolute. I I I knew it was going to be great. It was better than I thought it was going to be. So, and I think too, to your point of that that value stock going up. Yeah. I mean, the shot that was for our city yeah. was incredible. That's the thing that Chase really focused yeah. on and what that meant for people. And to show people that something that you thought was impossible is possible. Yep. You can you can apply that metaphor to the region. Yep. yep. St. Louis Rams. Uh, anger. Anger not in that they left because that's business. And I, whether I like it or not, I respect it. Sure. Uh, and by that, I mean, I get wanting to double. We talked about us making, taking yeah. chances. I don't know how much of a chance that was for Stan Kroenke. I think that one was already taken care <laughs> of. Yeah. Uh, he knew it was going to happen. But I, the, the thing that I just don't get, and maybe someday, because I did have a rapport with him, I'll interview him. Uh, is the need for, although I did talk to him the night it came out, was the, the way that they kicked the body of the city on the way out the door. Yep. They knew it was going to happen. So why they handled it. So why, why was that part necessary? I don't get, I, I, I don't have, I get, I get him wanting to move. I get the fact that he could privately fund, fund the, uh, the, the building in Inglewood where Spanos and Davis couldn't. I get Jerry Jones and Roger Goodell wanting to be in LA, especially with somebody who can privately build the stadium mm -hmm. there. I don't get the need to kick the city on the way. I have no idea what that was about. Yep. That that that's the that's where I get more anger than them not being yeah, here. I agree. Uh, how about the MLS? Last one, the MLS. Uh, I am enthused because I feel oftentimes in St. Louis, which might have worked to our advantage with the radio show, which certainly has a younger audience, that the old people or the old money um, kind of dictate policy. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence for some of St. Louis's stagnation because it's working for a lot of people who don't want to see things change because it might not then work yeah. for them, although I understand that. 
Um, it's like at Bush Stadium when you, uh, you're standing to cheer in a big moment and somebody who's probably over 60 screams at you to sit down. Uh, I don't think you'll have that at the right. MLS. No. Uh, I think you'll have young people there. I think you'll have energy there. And whereas I don't know if I've watched 10 minutes of an MLS game in my life. Yep. Um, but you'll be there opening night. I'll be there, and I'm thrilled, <laughs> yeah. thrilled for it. I uh, and, and I think it's. I think it maybe puts a greater magnifying glass on what the Taylor family and Andy, I think in particular, although I don't know him well at all, um, their commitment to try to help rebuild St. Louis yep. because it's been going on. It just hasn't been going on with sports teams. Right. And so for my yeah, audience, amount of money that guy's given. Oh my God. Whether it be the arch, the symphony, yeah. so many soldiers, memorials, so many things. Uh, I don't think it's a coincidence that he's building it north of market street. Yeah. That's kind of a defining statement. Mm-hmm. North of market street has kind of been off limits to where my business was for years at 19th and locust. Um, so I like it. I like that it's downtown West. Um, cause hopefully it'll, I don't even know if rejuvenate because I don't know when it's ever been alive, yeah. you know, so breathe life into yep, that area. Yep. Um, what, what habits do you have? Is there any habits that Tim McKernan has that you got to make sure you stay at peak performance for what you do? Uh, habits. I feel like we're talking vices. So I need to, I need to follow <laughs> up with you and ask about, do you want me to talk Should about talk being about a degenerate gambler? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, I like to work out in the sense that not because I'm sitting here boasting about fitness by any means, because I mean, look at me, I'm a mess, but because <laughs> of the fact that it makes me feel better. Yeah. And I think that then helps. I, I, there are days, I'm sure everybody has them, especially when you own a business yeah. where you know you're not right. And whether because there's something on the outside impacting you emotionally that takes your focus away or uh, you just didn't get a good night's sleep. And so you don't want to make, or you might be on tilt, as we say right. in poker, where you're not thinking clearly. Right. And you don't want to make a decision that you would regret on a day the next day when you're probably feeling much better. And so what I found is going to work out usually makes me feel better. I don't necessarily enjoy it while it's going on a lot of the time, but I feel better after doing it. And then I'm in a better state of mind to make decisions when it comes to business. So that's, that's what I'm proud of. Uh, live betting the World Series is a habit that did not go well, <laughs> and I would not advise that one to your listeners. Right. <laughs> All in? Is there a... uh, that was that was that was like oh they're clearly barreling Granky. I'm going to bet on the Nationals. Oh now Granky goes you know whatever seven innings or whatever. Man, it was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. All right, man. Where do we find more of Tim McKernan? Uh, 590 The Fan, KFNS at com from 7 to 10 in the morning. Uh, the podcast. Let me interrupt you real quick. So Inside STL, I obviously know what it is. But for our listeners that may not know exactly what Inside mm-hmm. STL is, that thing is amazing what you've built. So tell us about that. Give well, us the commercial. It, it, the, the commercial is right now it's just essentially ho- hosting all of our audio on, on okay. the, the morning after. Um, for the first 10 years, I wrote a column every night, which yep. again is kind of an obsessive behavior because I look back on it. I'm like, I wasn't making money doing that. We weren't necessarily selling that. And I just did it out of habit. Um, but I guess it was good. I love writing. I do yeah. love writing. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, I had a non-compete from KMOV when I left for television. Mm. I, they let me do radio, which they could have theoretically told me I couldn't do. And so the first few months, and I'm 27 when I left KMOV, and I was a member at Norwood Hills. Mm-hmm. And this is when I was playing golf. Um, and, you know, at first, it, I think it sounds great. 27 and you make enough money, n- enough certainly being relative. Sure. Uh, where you don't need to do anything else. I'm done at 10 o'clock. I'll go up to my country club. You know, what the hell? Who am I? You know, I, <laughs> like I go back to, I'm a South City guy. It's not like I came from something. And, uh, and, and I'll play golf. And that sounds great. But then after like a couple months of it, you are 27. Right. You are not retired. You need something else to do. And so because I still had like six months left of my non-compete, I'm like, this radio show has a following. There's really nothing for young people in St. Louis uh, at that time in 2005. Let's capitalize on it. And I was going to call at the time the radio show was called The Morning Grind. And I almost called it themorninggrind.com. And I'm glad I didn't because I think the the ownership of the radio station could have made a claim that I didn't own that title. Um, And I think it was my brother, Kevin, who came up with the name inside stl.com. I bought the domain for $12 and 95 cents. Go daddy. Big spender. Yeah, yeah. Big spender. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and, and it's, it's turned into, uh, I don't even know what it is right now, but it's something that, uh, 
it's at this point kind of synonymous with the, the show because yep. it's where a lot of people will go to listen to it. What you don't know is it helped me back in 2005 prospect for clients. Is that right? Yeah. I didn't so know So I would this. go on there. If you remember, that, well, obviously you'd remember, uh, you could go like to businesses and then you could like find different titles of businesses and people, I guess they were advertising, but you know, back then I didn't right. care what they were doing. But sure. They were, they were advertising, they were doing something and I would find these people and I would read articles and different things and connect dots to how to meet people. And that's how I would start to prospect because I'm not from here. I didn't know anybody. I needed new clients. And so therefore I'd go to in, insidestl.com. Right? Wow. Now I got to have uh, gotta, my counsel get my, right. uh, get my commission on. Exactly. Sure, it's a, I'll show up. I'm it's, a really strong it's massive, case. massive, right? Exactly. It's massive. <laughs> it probably was more than <laughs> yeah. I was making yeah. from it at the time. That's though. true. I'll tell you that's that. a good point. <laughs> so anyway, I interrupted you. So uh, insidestl.com. Insidestl.com. Yeah. And it's something that, you know, uh, Gangster Pete, who is uh, kind enough to be sitting in here recording this, uh, he designs these shirts and especially during the blues run. Yeah. We were selling these shirts at InsideSTLShop.com like crazy. A lot of them have to do with the show, but a lot of them are just kind of St. Louis-centric shirts yeah. that we partner with STL Style on, and Pete comes up with the ideas to his credit. Uh, nice work, Pete. Yeah, well, Pete's like, I think we can do really big merchandise uh, sales, and I'm like, I've tried it before. It didn't work. I don't want anything to do with it. And Pete's like, I'll put up my own money, and if it doesn't work, I'll pay for it. I'm like, well, this is the greatest deal ever. <laughs> this is great. This is a free roll. And uh, then, of course, it winds up selling like crazy. And I'm like, yeah, this is why I should not be running a business yeah. <laughs> because I have the worst intuition ever. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it, we have merchandise at this point, and of course, the show. But I mean, right now, Inside STL is kind of, I, don't, I would describe it actually as like almost dormant. But if, you know, if we wind up doing some things differently here in the near future, yeah. it certainly would be uh, the focus because it does have some brand equity in absolutely. the marketplace after being around for 14 years. I like it. Well, man, thanks for being with me. Thanks uh, for uh, coming. Thank absolutely. you for coming to my turf too. And then sitting around while I'm in some random uh, meeting. Well, hey, there's more connections. You got all these people coming in. Hey, we see got, Frankie uh, Simano, uh, Martin Kilcoin. There's Bob Martin, Ramsey yeah, right Bob there. Ramsey, Cam Jansen. Doing, Bob? Yeah, Cam, it's like uh, the sports center commercials, you know, where the mascots are just yeah. walking through. You're like, what now? The, the slew athletic director was there. He wants to come on the show. So Chris Look May, at this. I see, you know, yeah, so you got make, something hey, out of me being time completely I'm around irresponsible I'm making deals happen. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for being on the Circle of Success, my man. Thank you, Brad. I love the conversation. I appreciate it. Tune in next week for another episode of The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland on the lineupmedia.fm podcast network. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and through our website, circuitofsuccess.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter and email any questions to info at circuitofsuccess.com. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm. 